0: morning. man that's good stuff isn't it? What a blessing to be here and worship together. Let a little of God's love be poured into our hearts this morning, right So also so thank you worship team. Thank you Frank. Um, also thank you Frank for making that announcement for me, making a much better announcement than I could have ever done and just uh, want to if you are looking for that last minute Christmas gift, you really want it to be significant? think about sponsoring yourself or one of your loved ones on a mission trip with us this summer, so or actually in october. so if you're interested in that, please come a month from today on the eighteenth and uh, join with us and we'll answer all your questions and Money should not be an issue okay we'll 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 work on that fix that for you okay so uh I don't know if y'all are like me and my wife, Penny, but uh, over the years, we've collected quite a stack of Christmas-themed DVDs, right, and uh, she puts them away every year so we can't watch them and then gets them out at Thanksgiving, you know, and so we can watch them, and to be truthful, I could care less about most of them, you know. (laughs) I'm okay, you know, I'm not against watching them, but, you know, it's not necessarily what I really look forward to there is one, there is one I have to watch every year, no matter what, Charlie Brown Christmas, right? (laughs) And I mean, that's just, I have to see that, and there is something about Linus, you know, I I connect with Charlie Brown, of course, but it's that Linus, you know, when he quotes scripture, you know, it's that uh, Luke chapter two, It, it just something about that centers me, helps me really remember what the reason for the season is, and And it's kind of interesting, you know, I shared this several years ago, Uh, it's been a while, but I looked up a little bit about the Charlie Brown Christmas uh, uh, show, and uh, I was surprised that uh, the producers of that show were really against Schultz having, you know, scripture read or, you know, quoted there in, in, in the show. And I thought, you know, I thought, you know, that was a gentler, kinder time. But apparently, no, they were really afraid that it would back, you know, would have a you know, a negative effect on it. In fact, they, they thought the whole deal was going to tank, but it was actually a very, it was kind of a shoestring put together on a shoestring budget. It was kind of put together at the last minute, and, uh, fortunately, they didn't have anything else to put in that slot. Otherwise, they would have pulled it, because they really thought, this is just not going to work, but, uh, actually it ended up airing on December 9th, 1965, 15 million viewers, which was big in that day apparently, and it's viewed it's aired every year since that time. It's actually won an Emmy and the critics actually hailed this scene, you know, the scene where Linus recited the scripture as quite simply the dramatic highlight of the season. So go figure, right? So, I'm at how many of y'all have that uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas, right? I I watch it every year. I love it. So I do believe, and I think we all would agree, Linus and Charles Schultz got it right, that Jesus is the reason for the season. But actually, there's much more there to Luke's uh, uh, Luke chapter 2 and Luke's purpose with this. And what Luke is really trying to do is communicate with us, what child is this? He's trying to tell us what child this is. So this morning I want to kind of take Linus's lead and follow up on on Luke chapter 2 and see what child is <clears throat> what child is this but more importantly what child is this to you today okay will you pray with me Dear Lord in heaven <clears throat> thank you so much for this morning Lord thank you so much for this opportunity to to gather together and to praise your name to gather and And sing and worship and share communion together, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for this season of the year uh, that reminds us, Lord, of uh, the birth of your child, Lord, for sending your son to this earth, Lord. And importantly, Lord, the peace that he brought between us and you because of that birth and because of his death, Lord. We praise you. Lord, open up the scripture to us this morning and just uh, help us to see what child this is. And it's in your, na- in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, will you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, if you already haven't figured that out. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I think this is just one of those scriptures you can't sit for, right? And as we <clears throat> as I read this, I want you to take a minute and just kind of put yourself in this scripture, right? I want you to become Joseph and Mary and, and the shepherds, okay? Now it came about in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the census was to be taken of all that inhabited the earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And in the same region there were some shepherds uh, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring great new, good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into the heaven and the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these up in her Uh, These things pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just has been told them. Thank you. If you would, you can sit down now. All right. So here, as I mentioned, I think Luke is really trying to tell us what child is this, right? What child is this? And um, I believe he does it according to three different proclamations. Actually, if we were able to read the whole chapter two, I think there's six proclamations that are made there, and you can go find those later today. But three we will cover today in answering what child is this? The first proclamation is that proclamation of Augustus or Caesar Augustus. The second proclamation is the proclamation of the angels. And then the third is the proclamation of the uh, shepherds themselves. So let's start by looking at the first proclamation, that of Uh, Caesar Augustus. And again, Luke is is using this to uh, help us to understand what child this is this. And this time, he's focusing in on the humble human nature of uh, the Christ child. So uh, when we start off here in what, uh, the very first verse of chapter 2, What do we read? Kind of the first thing that jumps out at us is Caesar Augustus, right? The name of Caesar Augustus. And it would be a little easy to kind of gloss over this thinking that, well, you know, this is just uh, Luke's way of kind of putting us in context, telling us, you know, kind of when in history Jesus Christ was born. But I think he's doing something much, much more here. I think he is, he wants to draw contrast with Caesar Augustus, the king of the world, the emperor of the world, and that with Jesus Christ, the king of heaven, our heavenly king. And so who was this Caesar Augustus? Well, he was actually, his actual name, his given name was Octavian, and um, he was actually, or his uncle was Julius Caesar, and I don't know if you know Roman history, but apparently Julius Caesar was the very first Roman to actually have all the power of Rome put under one person, under himself. So he was the first ultimate emperor ruler of all of Rome. Um, up until that time, it had been ruled by a senate, by multiple people, but now it was all under him. And as you know how the story, well, and one other thing here that's important is that he did not have a child. So his. So he um, adopted uh, uh, Octavian at that point, right? And so then, as we all know, Julius Caesar, about a month into his reign, was assassinated. He was murdered. Well, of course, that threw everything into, you know, uproar in, in Rome. And so there began a big civil war again, Octavian against two other uh, forces within Rome. And over time, finally, Octavian won out. And so he again became supreme ruler of all of Rome And he took on the familial name of Caesar. And then uh, the Senate was asking him, well, what name should we give you? Should we call you king? Should we call you president? What name? He says, Augustus. And Augustus means sacred or exalted, even to the point of a god. So he's a self-proclaimed savior, if you will. And in some sense, if you look at uh, Caesar Augustus, he actually brought peace throughout the entire world. A forced peace, albeit, but he did bring peace to the whole world. He also, uh, a lot of the economy and, and, and sciences and everything and arts flourished under him because, you know, a single language, he built infrastructure, roads and ships and whatnot. So in many sense, he was a worldly human political savior in some sense, if there ever was It could have been him, one of the most powerful people ever. And, in fact, we see that right here in verse 1, right? It came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and what? The whole inhabited world obeyed, right? They went to and did just what he said. So a very, very powerful person. But Luke now, I think, kind of pivots, right? And so here he's kind of projected this... Earthly king, right? Caesar Augustus. Now he pivots and looks at the humble human, Jesus Christ, this babe. And so he alludes to this kind of humility in a number of ways. Uh, First, we see Joseph is from Nazareth, right? And, you know, Nazareth wasn't known for its thought leaders, for producing a lot of powerful people. It was kind of the backwater, I think, of the Roman Empire in a sense, because we see that with Philip saying, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, uh, John one forty six. we also see that Joseph like everyone else is subject to Caesar he had to go and and do the census as he was told he had to travel 70 to 80 miles so it'd be like walking all the way down to Socorro so that's a pretty good trip right pretty inconvenient for him to do that we also know from Luke uh, 2, verse 24, so just a little beyond what we read, we know that uh, Mary and Joseph were very poor by the kind of sacrifice they made uh, for Jesus, their firstborn son. Uh, to make matters worse, then, not only are they poor, they don't have any pull, they don't have any clout. They get to Bethlehem, right, and there's no place for them to stay. They can't call up an uncle or, or whatever and, you know, have, get a room. They, they end up where? In the stable. And, um, yeah, ultimately, Mary gives birth in a stable, in a a barn or a cave, or there's a lot of uncertainty exactly what that looked like, but she did lay, you know, Jesus down in a manger, in a feeding trough, right? So whatever exactly it was, we know it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't sanitary, right? Uh, You know, it was not the kind of place that you'd want to give birth, so all of this kind of leads us to this real reckoning that, you know, Jesus was born under very humble circumstances, right? From a socioeconomic condition, very, very humble. But there's also an undertone of something else, another part of this humility that I don't think I had really ever fully appreciated. And First consider Mary. Mary didn't have to go with David, I mean with Joseph down to Bethlehem. She didn't have to make that trip. In fact, you know, it kind of would have made sense for her to stay home and be with her family, her support network, right? To stay there and to bear the child there, but she left for some reason. And then also note where was Joseph going? He was going for the census to his hometown, right? Now Obviously, he was away from his family, you know, he, or at least many of them probably, so he came to Nazareth, but I met to Bethlehem. But who would have been there with him? It would have been his brothers, his uncles, his grandfather, his father, and others, because they all had to come there, right? And so they were all there together, yet what happened? There wasn't room for him. Can't they see his fiancee here is nine months pregnant? and there's no room for him none of the family would take him in and i mean even just common courtesy if i were in a hotel next to a garage and i saw a pregnant a 9-month 9-month long pregnant woman next door i can guarantee you penny would not let me be sleeping in that bed with her i would get kicked out and they would take her in what's going on here this just does, never made sense to me and then to make matters even worse, I think there's strong reason to believe that Mary and Joseph bore that child by themselves. They, uh, the the child was born without any help, and I say that because it says she gave birth, and of course that's kind of a singular thing; only one person can give the birth. But then she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, right? I mean, usually that's the role for a midwife, right? They grab the child up once it's born and cut the cord, clean it up, wrap it up, and then give it back to mom. I mean, we even do that today. Yet, that wasn't the case here. She, meaning Mary, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. So, suggests that we're all alone, and I can't even imagine this, right? I mean, I was there for the birth of my boys, and it's probably still one of the scariest moments in my life, right? And To see my wife go through all of that, I can't imagine what Joseph was going through. And that was in a hospital, but this is in a a, a barn, and there's no doctors around. He's all on his own. I can't imagine what it would be like. So why would this have happened this way? How could it be this way? But then when you stop and think about this other aspect of their humility, and that's the shame, and that is Mary was a young woman who was pregnant and was not married. And so people looked at her as an adulteress or any other uh, colorful world that you w- might want to put there. But they saw her in that light, and they were shaming her. And she was not worthy to be part of them. And I'm afraid that I that that might answer why they, that there was not room for them in the house. And so not only in a very low socioeconomic status were they but also the shame that she was carrying around for them as well. So we're talking very humble child here, right? A humble human. And so what is the answer here? What is Luke trying to tell us about what child this is? I think there's three things that he wants us to take away. First, that Jesus is fully human, right? Everything except the conception and the way Jesus came into this world was normal, right? In a sense. I mean... Uh, Mary went through a normal pregnancy, right? When her days were completed, she did what? She gave birth. So she gave birth just like any other child is born, right? Gave birth. The child was wrapped in clothes. It needed clothing just like any other child. It was laid down in a manger to sleep just like any other child. It sleeps. As we go on and read in in, uh, Luke later in the uh, book, We see him growing up like any other child. He's 12 years old. They're taking him to the temple, and he gets lost, and the parents worry about him just like any other child. He's completely human, and that's important for us to realize that he was completely human, just like us. He suffered for us and felt everything just like us. He was tempted just like us. He was fully human. Human. The other thing is not just that he was human, but he was a humble human Like we've already seen here, he is not the Messiah that everyone was looking for, the powerful king. I mean, probably the closest we would have today is the royal family in in England, right? And how, you know, all the, the media attention, whenever there's a birth or a death or a marriage or whatever, it's splashed everywhere, everybody celebrates it, and you know, everybody's excited about it. The children are born with a silver spoon or gold spoon in their mouth, literally, right? I mean, in opulence. This is not Jesus. This was not how he was born. And why? Why? Because we don't need a political savior. We need a heavenly savior. And third, and I, I, I love this point because I think Luke's kind of in an hun- underhanded way, uh, helps point out that even the self-proclaimed political saviors of the world, the Caesar Augustus, right? They're still under the full authority of an all-powerful God, an almighty God, See, you know, Augustus Caesar or Caesar Augustus, he just thought, you know, I want to have, you know, a census and I will tell the whole world to go do it. And it's my political whim and you will do it. Right. You know, and I'm wielding my power to all the world. But you see, it's really God behind the scene. He's orchestrating things. Right. He orchestrated this census for his purposes because, you know, he needed to move Mary and Joseph from where Nazareth Bethlehem. He needed to get him to Bethlehem because the prophet Micah had prophesied hundreds of years before that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. So at the end of the day, Caesar, he was just a pawn in God's big plan. So we're all subject to God and an almighty God. And so this begs the question will you continue to su- uh, search for a political Savior or will you, unlike the end? Have room for Jesus in your heart. Will you open your heart up to Jesus? But you say, well, why is that important? Why do I need Jesus in my heart? Well, let's go on because I think uh, uh, Luke explains that to us uh, in this next uh, uh, proclamation. So now let's take a look at the second proclamation. This is the proclamation about the angels or by the angels. And again, Luke is trying to explain what child is this? But this time, he's explaining something a little different, right? So he's told us humble human. Now he wants to focus on on glorious God, I believe. And so he's explaining this glorious God aspect to this baby. And And we see this in how he proclaims or how the proclamation is made, what proclamation is made, and who the proclamation is made to. So first, let's look at what proclamation is made. And so when we start there, so we have the shepherds, they're out, and uh, then what? Behold, in verse 9, or suddenly, in other uh, translations, we see, so something happened, something suddenly happened, right? Something broke the, still, the stillness, the quiet of the evening. Something is very, very different all of a sudden. And what is it? It's an angel of the Lord, right? Right? So this uh, heavenly being all, all of a sudden appears to them, but if that's not enough, then what we see is the glory of the Lord shown all around them. And so, what the heck is glory of the Lord, right? I mean, I kind of thinking. I mean, I kind of get an idea, but what exactly is it? And that's the invis- When the invisible qualities of God are made visible, so chew on that for just a minute. What that really means? Can you imagine? So basically, somehow they're seeing the unimaginable, the, the, the fullness of God, which we can't see, and they, there's no way to explain it, right? What are the words? We don't have words for something that's unexplainable. The, the fullness of God they are seeing somehow along with this heavenly being. So, I mean, and then if all that's not enough, then what happens? Then suddenly, all of a sudden again, All of these heavenly hosts appear, thousands and thousands of angels. So this this is a pretty big uh, production, right? A pretty big proclamation. And now we do see God communicating with humans, right, all through the Old Testament. Sometimes there are angels come down and communicate something to a, a, a person, right? Or sometimes even we see angels connected with the glory of God, maybe like at Sinai, uh, or Mount Sinai, or in the dedication of the temple or the, the, the tabernacle, we see the glory of God being shown. We also see heavenly hosts at times. I think it is it Elijah, I believe, and, and his servant, which are being surrounded by the Assyrians, and he prays so that his servant can see the, the host, the heavenly hosts that are protecting him. So we see these kinds of things throughout the Bible, but I don't think least I wasn't able to find a case where all three came together at one time except maybe in revelations where they're already in heaven together anyway so point is I think this is a big deal right God is making a big deal about proclaiming something he wants to get people's attention and why does God communicate with people because something has happened And he wants them to interpret it correctly. He wants them to understand what has happened. And so that's what God's trying to do here. He's trying to explain that his plan is coming to maturity in the birth of this this baby. And that this baby's birth is not just normal, but this is earth-shattering. This is the most important birth that has ever happened in all of time. And God's trying to get that point across, right? So, I think... God probably has the attention of the shepherds right now, right? So, yeah, they, you know, all of this is going on. He's got their attention, and so, what what is the proclamation? What does God communicate with them? Well, he starts, I think, first by a little bit of an introduction, right? So he needs to calm them down. They're afraid, right? They're sore afraid, and um, so he says, "Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not going to kill you. Everything's okay here." Um, But he says, uh, let's see here, where am I? And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and um, the glory of the Lord shone all around him. He said, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Okay? So it's this introduction. Don't be afraid. It's kind of the first thing, of course, which, you know, would be normal. Uh, The second thing is what? Good news. That's why you don't need to be afraid. I bring good news to you. And what is good news? It's the gospel, right? The angel is the first to proclaim the gospel to humanity. So we see the gospel basically being proclaimed here, and that's, in fact, what we see. And what is this good news going to bring? Great joy. And so joy is just great pleasure, right? Something that makes you really, really happy but in a spiritual context, it's something even deeper than that, right? It's this uh, perpetual gladness of the heart because we know, we experience, we trust in God, right? It's something that even when things aren't quite going my way, in my heart, I know I have this joy that I can hold on to. That's the kind of thing that God's talking about here that He's, that the angel is expressing to them. And who is it for? It's for all people. And I mean, stop and think about it. I was trying to think in my mind what would be something, one thing that would bring this kind of joy to absolutely everybody in all the world? It's hard to kind of think of, you know, what would that thing be for everybody to take joy over? So they kind of get them calmed down, kind of get this introduction over, then what next? What is the next part of the proclamation? Well, It's all about a name, right? So today in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So first we see the angel kind of dropping some names, right? David. This is from the city of David. And they know he wouldn't be there if he wasn't from the lineage of David, right? Because of the census. So basically we know that Joseph is, or the baby from Joseph, they are from the lineage of David. So why is this so important? Well, I think we all know that, that, you know, uh, in places like Second Samuel 7, Isaiah 9, and many other places that God will create an eternal kingdom with an eternal king that sits on that throne and that he will be of the lineage of David. And so we see this name dropping, this, this pedigree. He has the appropriate pedigree, this, this child. What else do we learn? He's going to be Savior. And what is a savior? It's one who rescues us from our pitiful condition and gives us uh, uh, dignity and a sense of value, right? That's the kind of savior we're talking about. And he, he goes on to, to help us understand exactly what kind of savior in just a second. And then he drops a couple of other names, Christ the Lord. So who is Christ? What is Christ? This is the Messiah. This This is the anointed one, the king, right? So Messiah, the Savior. And so this is the one you've been waiting on, right? This Messiah name. We see it in Isaiah 7, Psalms 2, Daniel 9, and many other places, right? This is the one you've been waiting for. But even more so, he's Lord. And what does he mean by Lord here? He is God. He is God incarnate. So Christ, the Messiah, the God the, the one who's going to establish this eternal kingdom. This is he. So we kind of have the name now. He's dropped the name, and now we go on and we get even more proclamation, right? He goes on, glory and with the heavenly host, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And so I think here the whole idea is, again, prefacing. Prefacing. God is using this to preface the type of Savior and Messiah that we are to expect. It's not quite what you expected. And notice first that who is the glory being given to? It's not Israel. It's not Judah. It's not Jerusalem. It's not David or the family of David. It's not Rome. It's God. God is to get the glory. And why? Because of the peace. And we're not talking a world peace. They already have that. Uh, Maybe it's a peace from uh, hatred of each other. No, because we still have that. This is much different, much more fundamental peace. It's the peace between God and man. It's the peace that's been destroyed because of the sin in our life. We are now in conflict with God because of that sin, but Christ comes to break that down. And so what do we learn from this? What do we take from this? What child is this that Uh, uh, Luke is trying to communicate with us. It is the glorious God of this babe that that we're talking about here, and he is not this uh, political savior that we might have expected, and Dale Ralph Ralph Davis, uh, commentator, put it really nicely. I just love the way he says this. He says, God did not send an economist because our deepest need is not poverty, nor a philosopher because our trouble is not incoherence. He did not send a psychiatrist for our problem is not maladjustment, nor an entertainer for our problem is not boredom, nor an administrator for, it's not, for we're not disorganized, nor a religious leader because we're not irreligious. Savior, Messiah, Lord. Such is a proclamation of Christmas. We don't need another political savior We need Jesus Christ is what he's saying. And so simply put, this sin in our life has brought conflict with God, right? It has separated us from God. It has damned us to eternal death, right? It has separated us from God. But Christ, who's both fully human and fully God, has come as we've celebrated in our communion today. He's come. He was our sacrifice. He paid the price for us. And so through him, we now find peace with God if we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And so if you haven't done that today, if you haven't made that decision in your life today, that's the first place you've got to start. You've got to open your heart, allow Jesus Christ in to be your Lord and Savior. And ask your friends or your family or whoever you're we're here with or one of us, any of us would love to help make that a reality for you today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior but even so uh, many of us who've accepted Jesus Christ we still struggle uh, because we're often still trying to make Jesus Christ our economist our therapist our, our our life coach right and so today you need to just make him your Savior allow him to be your Savior and all the rest will fall into place not necessarily the way you want it to but it will fall into place. He will take care of that if you will allow him to be your savior. So here we've seen Jesus says, uh, or, or we see Luke is really pronouncing what child is this? He is the glorious God, right? But I think here he also, we need to understand who he's making this proclamation to because this is very important for us as well. It helps us to really understand that he is our God. And so it's kind of interesting. Who is he making this proclamation to? I meant to us today in our social media rich environment, right? How would we do this? If we had some really important news, what would we do? Well, we've got to splash it everywhere. We've got to hit all the so, uh, you know, social media channels. We've got to get it on TV and the radio and everything, right? And what do we have to do? Most importantly, we've got to hit those influencers, right? We've got to get them so they're talking about it and retweeting and, and whatever. What does God do? He goes and communicates with a handful of shepherds, the lowest of low. They're, they're not even allowed in the temple because they're ceremonial unclean. And yet this is who he's talking to. God, I mean, man, come on, we, we can help you here. No, I'm fine. I got this, right? And that's what's cool about this. Why? Why would he choose shepherds, right? I mean, are they the influencers of the day? Absolutely not. They're the lowly, the, the lowest of the low. But maybe there's a symbol there, you know, he's trying that he's interested in the lowest. And that connects with our humble Christ Jesus baby uh, theme, right? For sure. The other thing is we know shepherds, they play a big role in, in the roots of Israel, Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all uh, uh, shepherds. Uh, Jesus, he's the good shepherd in, in John chapter 10. Another cool symbolism here, um, according to ancient Jewish texts, the Mishnah, these were the sheep that grazed on the hills around Jerusalem and, and, and Bethlehem. They were the sheep that were intended or that would then be used for the sacrifices in the temple. And these shepherds were the very one who were protecting these sheep these sheep from blemish right from so they could be a a good sacrifice an acceptable sacrifice so wouldn't it be God's way just of of uh using these shepherds as a way of 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 foreshadowing you know God's Jesus's greater purpose of being that lamb that savior that is sent on our behalf uh for our sacrifice so some beautiful symbolism here But I think there's something even more important or equally important going on here that Luke is trying to communicate with us, and that is that uh, what child is this? This child is for everybody. He's for everybody. And I say that because we see only three different groups that God proclaims this birth to. The first group we're looking at, right, these lowly shepherds out on the hills, they are kind of the overlooked people, right? The lowest of low in in this kind of socioeconomic uh, uh, stratus. Then who else do we see in Matthew chapter two? The Magi, right? We see them, and they're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're not Jews, right? They're they're foreigners, and yet it's pro- they proclaim Jesus Christ, right? And they're they're very well-educated, they're wealthy based on their gifts, they're probably pretty powerful in their own rights, and yet they are called to Jesus Christ as well, right? And then third, we also see in later in chapter 2 here, we see Anna and Simeon are called, right? They are called and, and they proclaim Jesus Christ, right? And uh, where? Uh, you know, it's in the temple courts, and, and, and who were they? They were just very religious, very devout Jews. They weren't religious leaders. Uh, In fact, uh, Anna, she was a Samaritan, right? And so, again, kind of not exactly the people you would expect. Yet, he is calling out to these folks. And so, why? Well, I think the clear message is that Christ's birth is for all. Whether you're simple or rich, Jew or Gentile, learned, steeped in the religion, or just an honest day labor. It doesn't matter who you are. Christ wants you, Christ is for all of us, this baby is for all of us, but you know, what's even more cool than this, I think, is that not only is Christ for all of us, but he pursues all of us in a way that's unique to each and every one of us, and we see that in all of these three cases, the first being that what was the sign that was given for the, um, the shepherds? It was a manger, what is that a feeding trough what more would communicate to them that this that we're one of you right that Christ is one of us than a manger than a than a feeding trough the second is the star is what led the the magi to Jesus and what more would communicate to an astronomer to a scientist than a star out of place pretty cool right and then third Anna and Simeon, where did they find Jesus? In the temple courts. What was important to them? Where they were all the time. So we see God reaching out. Not only does he want each of these, but he reaches out in a way that connects very specifically to their heart. So in this Christmas season, how often do we see all these religious icons and and Christmas music and all this kind of thing, yet... Is our heart open to it, right? Uh, You know, sometimes we're stressed out. We can't see it because, you know, we got all this going. "Ah, I got to get over here. I got to get this bot. I got to, you know, get over to this party or whatever. But can't we just stop? Isn't that what we need to do is just stop and see the majesty of God, whether it's in our academic studies, whether it's in the time we spend with our family, maybe some of the unexpected events that are causing us to lose the time that we're so stressed over, Maybe it's watching the Cowboys, right? And, uh, you know, a Hail Mary. Yeah? I don't know. but Or even in our worship. God is reaching out to each of us. God wants each of us. God's reaching out to each of us. He's reaching out in a way that's personal to you. But you can ignore it. You can miss it. Open up your heart. Let him in. See him in this holiday season. All right. So, Finally, we get to the third proclamation, and this time, again, the proclamation's all about us understanding what child is this. Again, a little different piece of who this Jesus is, and uh, this time, it's uh, a proclamation that we see that being made of the shepherds, so a little different. The shepherds are are, are making this proclamation, and so I think what Luke is trying to express to us is that once we kind of understand that this is... This babe is fully human, is a humble human, and he's a glorious God. When we put those two things together, what happens? We've got to go out and proclaim it. We can't keep this news to ourselves, and that's exactly what we see here. And so, again, kind of how is this proclamation made? Well, uh, if we look in, what, verse uh, 15 and 16, we see that once the the... The angels had left. What do the shepherds start doing? They begin. They begin talking with one another. What What should we do? And then they do what? Go straight to Bethlehem. So you know they don't take any circuitous trip. They go straight there. They make haste uh, to uh, find Mary and Joseph. So so they they're really they don't waste time. In fact, they're probably just leaving their keep. All these sheep. We're not going to worry about them. We got news. We've got to go see this thing. They just drop everything and leave, right? And so, um, and what do they do first? First, they have to kind of verify what they've seen, right? They have to see this sign. And that's kind of, I, I can understand. You know, you've seen this thing that you can't explain. It's, you've never seen anything like it. I mean, we're all agreeing we saw something. That, did we really see it? But now they see this sign, they go, they verify the sign, it's tangible. And and a baby in a manger, how often do you find that, right? So this has got to be real, this is the real thing. Now they know, and what do they do then? It seems pretty immediate then that they go and they proclaim, right? They proclaim the message. They don't care that it's in the middle of the night, right? They don't care if they're going to, you know, offend somebody by waking them up this news is too good we have to share it and so we see them immediately going out and sharing that news And so what proclamation is being made here and I think this is is, is important for us to see is that uh, and they made known the statement which they which had been told them about this child so what what did they take? they took exactly what God told them they didn't change it at all they told exactly, What God had told them, what the angels had expressed to them, that is what they told. But I think it's much more than that, too, right? And it's with us, is that they, I don't want to say embellished, I don't think that's the right word, but they combined this exact message from God, the good news, they combined it with their experience, right? With their own personal testimony. Wow, we were out in, you know, out on the hills, and then all of a sudden, the light, you know, is just as bright as day, and we saw these angels. And right, when we combine our testimony with the good news, how powerful is that? And that's exactly what we see them here: the proclamation of the good news, and their uh, their personal testimony of what God had proclaimed to them. And so what is the response to this proclamation? In fact, we see, I think, three different responses here. And I'm taking a little liberty with the first one here, but we definitely see that what did the people that they went out, woke up, told about what they had seen, what was their response? They, they received it with wonder, with, with marvel, right, is, is what we're told. And so, I mean, I think it kind of would have gone a little bit like this. Um, wow. Wow. That is incredible. I can't believe that news. Uh, I mean, amazing that you saw that. Uh, You know, that doesn't happen every day. Thanks for sharing that with me. But uh, you said this is a baby now? Hmm, I'm kind of old, and he's going to be 20 or 30 years before he grows up and becomes a Savior? Eh, I think I'll go back to bed, right? And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek here, but because of Mary's response. We see Mary's response is very different. Uh, What is Mary's response? It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And in fact, we see this same response uh, later in the book, uh, uh, later in the chapter in in verse 51. And in fact, I meant also to kind of put Mary's response in a little bit of context. What was their sign? They were to find a baby, right? And where was he, he at at the time? in a manger what does that probably mean in the middle of the night he's sleeping and what don't you do to a sleeping child no you don't you you don't wake up the baby but you sure don't wake mom up right you know ah so I think you know that even though they're waking her up probably in the middle of the night you know to to see this yet what does she do she treasures these things up in her heart she ponders on them In other words, she's she's preserving them. She's keeping them in her heart. And so why? Why is this important? Even when Jesus is growing up and and worrying them in the temple courts, why is she storing these things up in her heart? Because they're changing her. They're changing her perception of who this son is, who this Jesus Christ is. It's changing her perception of Jesus Christ, and she doesn't want to forget these things. Who is this Jesus, right? Right? So then we see the third response, and that is of the shepherds themselves to the proclamation, to what they see, and what is their response to the gospel, right? They want to make this known. They go straight out. They can't hold it anymore. They have to tell everybody. They don't care if they're waking people up. Their response is, I understand this good news. I understand how good it is, and I can't not share it. And then once they've gone out and they've they've done everything they can, then what do they do? They can't help themselves but to go away praising and glorifying God. Wow, what God has shared with us. Wow, what God is doing for us through this baby. Wow, that God allowed me to share this with other people. How cool is that? And they go away glorifying God. And so those are some beautiful responses that we see in response to the proclamations that that uh, that the angels had made. And so that brings us to the end here. And so what is your response to what child is this? Who is this child to you? How will you respond? Will you be kind of blown away? Will you marvel at the season and how crazy it was and how busy it was or what a great gift you got or a gift you didn't get or where you went or the time you spent with your family whether good or bad is that and just kind of go away unchanged it was another Christmas season or will you consider what child is this will you really stop and ponder the things that are going on in your life to see those unique signals from God and to be changed by those changes, by the things that you're seeing that are going on in and around your life that you see the fingerprint of God and Christ in. Will you be changed like Mary? Or, and very importantly, will you realize what child this is? Will you realize what the, this good news really is such that you can't help but share it? We've got to share this news. I mean, this is peace to all people. All people need to hear this. Can we be like the shepherds and just uncontrollably want to share that good news? And then finally, in response to all this, how can we not worship? How can we not find ourselves worshiping over and over as we realize the true peace that has been brought between us and our God? So I am convinced Linus he was absolutely right Jesus is the reason for the season right but however I think Luke helps us to see what child is this now this morning you have to make that decision what child is this to you and what will it mean to you this Christmas season so you stand as we as I pray and close us out oh dear Lord thank you so much we thank you for uh this passage Lord, for the reminder of of what you've done, Lord. It is so amazing. Lord, we praise you for your son. We praise you, Lord, uh, just how you do things, and it's not the expected way, and Lord, we thank you that it's not. Lord, uh, we realize we don't need another political savior. Lord, what we need is you. Lord, help us to see you. Help us to see, Lord, you communicating to us in those unique ways all throughout the season, Lord, and Help us to share what you've shared with us. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.